Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Your coordination and sound. Studio to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like... This is the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Welcome to another episode of the Well and Good podcast with me, Kate Spees, General Manager of Well and Good. The conversations I had for today's episode are going to stick with me for a really long time, partly because the women I spoke to are incredible badasses who are fighting to make the medical system better for all, and partly because said medical system is so deeply biased and broken, it's hard to believe that there isn't more being done. If you're a woman, femme, or non-binary identifying person, this system was not set up for you. And sadly, most of us don't even realize this until the apparatus that's supposed to keep us healthy and well lets us down. This could be the way your symptoms are dismissed, the fact that you're not given enough treatment options, or in the worst cases, a misdiagnosis. That's the bad news. The good news is that today you'll hear from some incredible doctors working really hard to make healthcare more equitable and inclusive for all. When you go through medical training, you learn about implicit bias, you learn about these types of things, but it's really, if you're not someone who lives that, if you're not somebody who experiences it, it's really hard to wrap your mind around it. That's Dr. Sheikha Jain. She's a medical oncologist and the founder and chair of the Women in Medicine Summit, a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering women within the medical healthcare system. My parents really raised me to believe that everyone should be treated equally and equitably. And I just thought, I really thought, maybe naively, that that's the way things were in the real world. And so I lived my life. I really did medical school residency. And I just kind of thought the stuff that was happening to me, I didn't think much of it. I thought, okay, I need to be better. I'm doing something wrong. I need to figure out why this happened to me. I have three young children. And when I came back from my first maternity leave with my daughter, I really struggled re-entering. I was a fellow at the time. I had a lot of challenges. And I didn't really have a big support system of people who could kind of help me navigate the challenges I was facing. And I just thought that I was deficient, that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't 
doing what I needed to be doing to be as successful as I should be. When I went on my second maternity leave after I had twins, I was a um, I was an attending physician at that time. And I started communicating with other women who were going through similar challenges that I had gone through. And the stories that they were sharing with me were so similar to what had happened to me. And I really just thought, this is just the way things are. When I was sleeping like three hours a night and working more than many of my colleagues and publishing more than many other people, but I was still being told that I wasn't enough. Maybe there wasn't a problem with what I was doing. Maybe there was a problem with the way the system was set up. And I really never thought of it that way because I was always raised to believe that I need to be constantly improving myself. And so talking with these other women, I realized that something needed to change if we were gonna continue having more than 50% of women entering medical school, we needed to make sure that the systems that were in place would allow them to be successful because I saw so many of my brilliant, bright mentees, colleagues, mentors, leaving medicine because they felt so frustrated and overwhelmed with the fact that no matter how hard they work, no matter what they were doing, they could be working 10 times as hard as their male colleagues or their colleagues without children or their colleagues without elder care that they needed to manage. And they were never gonna reach those same levels despite the fact they were working just as hard, if not harder. And by creating these open lines of communication and dialogue and breaking out of these silos that exist a lot in healthcare and in medicine, we're trying to make this more of a conversation where people understand this is something that happens. It's not just a one or two person anecdotal situation. Women have been left behind for years and years and years. And then women getting left behind in leadership and in promotions and in a variety of ways in healthcare has had a direct impact on women's health and how women's health is delivered. There are real problems and systemic inequities in our system that we need to fix. The way we treat our patients and the way our women's healthcare is really going to advance and come into a place where women are getting the best treatment and the best opportunities for the best care possible is going to be when there's both men and women in those leadership positions making the decisions and moving things forward. It's wild to think that 50% of the population is still an afterthought in some parts of medicine. And unfortunately, the issues start right at the root. Until terrifyingly recently, most medical research was only performed on men and documenting the male experience. Women just weren't considered. As Dr. Jessica Shepard, an OBGYN, explains, this has had dangerous consequences. Now they're realizing that the studies that were done, you know, decades ago really didn't encompass a population of women. And so therefore the outcomes of those studies really didn't serve women the way that they should have. Heart disease is probably notorious for that because they did a lot of studies on heart disease on men. And so because just one of the, of the makeup of men is completely different physiologically than a woman and the response and the hormone levels and how that all equates to heart disease is they found that some of the remedies or treatments or recommendations really didn't serve a population of women that well. And so I think that comes to societal changes in how we appreciate different people, including being inclusive in studies and research. And even beyond gender now is race and ethnicity. And that, too, is something that we see as well. So there's that underlying issue with this is where we're starting from and how do we make those changes.
And then, of course, there's the discrimination against women in the medical workforce. They're paid less and given fewer opportunities to advance. Dr. Jane shared this stat. It was calculated for a surgeon, women surgeons as compared to men surgeons in this survey that came out through Medscape. It showed that over a career, women surgeons who were working exactly the same as their male colleagues, this is accounting for family life, accounting for time off, accounting for you know working part-time, women were losing millions of dollars over their career. So $2 million over their career for doing the exact same amount of work. These structural issues have a direct impact on how women and non-binary folks are treated when they seek medical help. Dr. Shepard shared the ways we have been let down and explained the reason she founded Her Viewpoint, an online forum that focuses on advocating for women and non-binary patients. And that, again, goes into not dismissing women when they have certain symptoms. A perfect example, um, and I've, I've had to learn this too throughout my practice and how I see women and how I appeal to what they're experiencing, right? It's different than, you know, whatever a lab can run, whatever imaging study can run. It really is their experience and their journey. Menopause would be one of those. So in menopause, we know physiologically what the lab should say, what the hormone levels might come back as, or what they're experiencing with their cycle, their menstrual cycle. And we can use that as metrics to determine, is a woman perimenopausal or menopausal? But what I've heard from maybe thousands by now of women is that their experiences of what they're having through symptoms might be completely different to what a lab shows me. And so that's, again, taking on the responsibility, you know, as a physician who knows really good evidence-based medicine, but taking into the personal account of the experience of the patient who's sitting before me to find a way to, again, help that patient for what she is presenting with and what she's experiencing that might be outside of what the numbers show. Dr. Jane had this to add. Going back to like pre-Civil War times where women were described as sickly, and it wasn't until women started um, entering into the medical workforce as physicians that that dialogue started to change and women were not seen as inherently sick. They were not seen as inherently frail. So this is something, again, that's been there for years and years and years, and it's perpetuated now where we are still to this day treating women with data that is based on men. And that, that in itself is a problem. Women have different risk factors than men. I mean, when we talk about blood clots, for example, women who are on certain hormone replacements are at higher risk for developing blood clots. Women in general, when they're of childbearing age, can be at, have at higher risk for developing blood clots. There's a lot of different things that put women at different risk for different types of medical challenges. And we see that when we talk about you know clinical trials even now, as recently as with the pandemic. There was a question as to whether enough women of a certain age were included in the clinical trials when it came to the the vaccine. It's impacting our healthcare even today, these implicit biases. And by by not being intentional and making sure that women are included in the science and research that goes behind developing drugs or protocols or interventions, we're doing a huge disservice to 50% of our population. So that's all the bad news. But things are changing because of incredible folks like my guest today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Many of you will be aware of the media storm that surrounded the J&J vaccine. Today, the FDA calls for a temporary halt in the administration of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine after six cases of a rare blood clotting disorder. We'll explain if this pause is expected to affect the U.S. vaccine in the United rollout. States. So these are rare and severe blood clots. It's a combination of a blood clot with a low platelet level. So it has a very specific uh, profile in terms of... It was showing that this vaccine in very rare cases could increase the risk of blood clots in both women and men. And so in many countries around the world, the vaccine was paused while more research was done. It really interested me, this story, because blood clots or an increased risk of blood clots is something that has been associated with the contraceptive pill for years. So they're very rare among birth control users with the rate for getting clots being around 0.3 to 1% over 10 years for women on the pill, but they exist. And that's a, that's a calculated risk that many women and the medical community at large have been comfortable with. The different reception of these two drugs and the risk associated, and I just want to re-emphasize again, the incredibly small risk associated with both drugs was so fascinating to me. So I wanted to get an expert take on whether sexism was involved in the decisions made around the J&J vaccine. When the J&J pause happened, it was a really interesting time. This whole pandemic in general has been really fascinating for all of us in the medical world because basically what's happened is the entire population of the world has had to see and has been a basically in the front seat watching how the scientific process happens. Normally, we have years and years and years to work through all of these things. We have clinical trials that fail. We have clinical trials that are positive. And then we take those clinical trials and then we go to the next phase and the next phase and the next phase. And then after all of that, then we come to a conclusion and we say, okay, we're putting out this drug or we're putting out this vaccine and here are the risks and here are the benefits. And we have it all packaged very nicely. It'll tell you, these are all the potential risk factors because we've had years to fine tune the messaging and fine tune the science. What's happened, what I tell people, the analogy I use is we've basically been flying a plane and building the plane at the same time over this last year and a half. And people are seeing all the ins and outs. They're seeing, you know, how the sausage is made. They're seeing the behind the scenes of what happens when you come to drug discovery or vaccine discovery. And so a lot of times people have mistrusted science over the last year in general because 
information becomes outdated and when information becomes outdated, the scientific world stays up to date and tries to update recommendations based on what is the standard of practice based on the best information you have in front of you at that time. What happened with the J&J vaccine when these blood clots started to become more prevalent, you're absolutely right. Initially it was women and then it was men and all of a sudden it became, okay, we need to take a pause. So the pause was put in place to educate many of the practitioners who were giving the vaccine and also to do a little bit more of a deeper dive into is the vaccine causing these clots? If it is causing these clots, can we say it's a specific population that's at risk for these clots? And how many clots are actually out there? And it was such a rare thing. I mean, it was such a small number of people who were developing these clots. That's why they decided to reopen the J&J vaccine and say, you know, the chance of you getting COVID is way higher. The chance of you dying from COVID is way higher than the chance of you getting a blood clot from getting the vaccine. So get the vaccine because we'd much rather that you protect yourself from COVID than the one in like 0.0000001% that you were going to get a, a blood clot. To be specific, the CDC reports that seven per one million vaccinated women between 18 and 49, and for women 50 plus and men of all ages, the adverse event is even more rare. I do agree that there was a lot of frustration that, okay, so now it's potentially affecting men. So now it's become like a news story. I don't necessarily think that's what happened. I think that's how it was perceived. I do think that there was a lot of intentionality behind it when they started seeing the numbers. They wanted to make sure that the education was being put out there so that, for example, women who were on birth control who may have a slightly higher risk of getting a blood clot could be educated to, okay, maybe you should take this other vaccine or or maybe not. Discussing this issue with Dr. Jane, I felt really optimistic that in the case of the J&J vaccine, actually the due diligence and research had been done to understand the impact on women, men, and non-binary folks. So actually, I think this is an incredible example of where medicine is taking everyone's needs and experiences into account. On a slightly different note, another area of medicine and burgeoning science that I'm incredibly interested in is the intersection between healthcare and wellness. Over the last 10 years, so many women and non-binary folks have turned to wellness after they've been let down by the medical system. Anecdotally, at Well and Good, we have heard that when people haven't been able to get treatment that they need through seeing traditionally trained Western doctors, they have tried other alternatives and options, some being really effective, others less so. I was really interested to talk to Dr. Shepard about her perspective on this. Can healthcare and wellness coexist? I think that there is really a base for wellness, um, so much that I started my own practice, which is heavily integrated with wellness aspects, sanctum med and wellness, specifically called that because I really wanted people to understand the differences and how they can merge between medicine, which is what I studied, and I am very much into evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And then there's the other part that is outside of a prescription pad and outside of an operating room is what do I do as an individual when I am an advocate for myself 
but bring in the wellness aspect and things that I can do in my daily life. Because at the end of the day, I may only see a patient once a year for their wellness exam. So those other 364 days, I would hope that through our interaction, I was also able to instill a very strong premise and value system of wellness. And so that can come in the form of nutrition, um, yoga, meditation, mindfulness even. And we are starting to see the science between um, these wellness cultivated practices that actually can enhance our overall health. And so if I can be a catalyst for that, then I feel that I can give them actually better long-term results because now I've exposed their homework, as I like to call it, the things that they can do once they leave my office and focusing on what can I do to keep myself well then those two together, I think, were very powerful and I have a strong belief in that. I loved hearing this sentiment because honestly, everything Dr. Shepard said is essentially what we believe and the future that we're trying to help create at Well and Good. We really want to see a world where traditional healthcare and then the core facets of well-being can come together to help as many people as possible feel well. And it was really refreshing to hear an expert like Dr. Shepard also working to make this vision a reality. I asked Dr. Jane and Dr. Shepard what their advice is for how patients should move through the medical world, how we can make sure we find a provider that we're comfortable with and ensure that we're getting adequate medical care. Even as a woman physician, I have a very hard time advocating for myself. When I was pregnant with my twins, I got admitted to the hospital with influenza and I um, ended up having some complications and I could not, I could not bring myself to advocate for myself for a variety of reasons. It is so hard to do, but I had family who advocated for me. So my mom was there and she advocated for me because Sometimes you need someone else to help you out. Yeah. That's just the way, I mean, that's the way we are built. Many, many of us are built. Some people are great at advocating for themselves. I am not one of them. So I think being your own advocate is so important. And having a team of people who are also your advocates is also really important. So find the doctors that you feel you have a good relationship with, but advocate for yourself. If you feel there is something wrong and you feel that your physician isn't listening to you, Find other avenues or ways for them to listen to you. Bring whatever information you have. Bring lists. Track your symptoms. Track whatever it is that's bothering you. And if they're still not listening, it might mean that you need to get a second opinion. There's, again, nothing wrong with getting a second opinion and having a fresh pair of eyes look at your case. Dr. Shepard added this awesome analogy about dating. It should, for somewhat, maybe be approached kind of like dating, right? You really want to find someone who you connect with, um, that you're going to want to listen to their advice, that you want to go take, again, awkward situations or instances or circumstances that you're experiencing in your life to them. So it should be this two-way communication where both of us are willing to uh, discuss with each other what are really the important things that are going on in their life. And so if that comes with trialing doctors, now we don't want everyone running around like going to a different doctor every week, but really taking the time to foster a relationship to see if you can get to that point in a relationship that you understand each other, you respect each other, 
and the information that's shared between you two is really valued from both parties. I'm probably in the minority of, from a physician standpoint, those who understand the importance of intersection of wellness and health. Um, but I do believe that there are those out there who, like me, are very like-minded in that. Um, and I have started to see more practices, whether it's to overall health or you know, solely dedicated to women's health, that understand that importance and are incorporating those features into their practice. We have done some remarkable things when we think of women in medicine, but I think we have so much more to accomplish. But that that comes with change and that comes with influence and make, making sure that we continue to have these conversations. So yes, I do believe it's happening. I think to have this type of relationship with patients, but also to expose them to uh, the beauty of wellness. After all of my conversations, I'm feeling really positive that things are heading in the right direction. And thank goodness for these incredible women doctors, of which there are many, who are pushing to make the medical system more equitable for all. And they really see a future, and I am so bought into this future, where anyone going in to see whichever medical provider they need are going to feel supported, understood, and really well cared for. And I think that's a future we can all get behind. On today's show, you heard from Dr. Jane and Dr. Shepard. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille, Ella Dove, and myself, Kate Spees, along with many other hands and minds at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Every single one of those actions helps. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lukomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Mercy Livingston, Ali Short, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolfe. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto Trader.